Well, if you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, we are going to walk through the entirety of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Um, we're starting a new series today on the man Elijah in the Old Testament, looking at his life in just a few chapters over the next uh, number of weeks throughout where we're wrapping up the summer. And man, as I, I, I prepared for today, I actually wrote this message for Woodside uh, more than a month ago. And as I was preparing and studying, man, it just reminded me, if I just be honest with you, I try to be as honest as possible in most of my sermons. Maybe I'm the only one, but many times I struggle in trusting God and taking him at his word. Anyone else? Uh, I just really wrestle a lot of times with trusting God fully. And I think that it comes from a number of, uh, of different reasons. I think one of them for me is I'm a control freak. Any other control freaks out there? Oh, just online, it's okay. Um, I, I like to control things. And man, when I'm in control of my life, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly what I want to happen. I can try to make that happen. Maybe for you, it's not being in control. It's some other reason with which you struggle to really, by faith, really trust God, take him at his word. Because when I say trust God and take him at his word, it demands a response. It's not just, yeah, I trust God. If you trust God and take him at his word, it's going to, I mean, it's going to push you, in a sense, to walk in obedience, believing all that God says is actually true. Because trusting God takes faith. I don't know about you, but man, uh, that's part of the reason why I struggle. Is I, 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 I don't have many times the faith to believe that God's going to do what he promised to do. And it takes believing that God knows best. He knows better than you. He knows better than me for all that we have planned for our life. And he is going to work everything out according to, perfectly according to his plan. I heard a quote recently that said, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. Man, that couldn't be more true. So many times I'm looking way out in the future and God's like, you're not even promised to live tomorrow. Will you just take me at my word today and step by faith into the next thing I'm calling you to? And what I'm excited about, when you look at the life of Elijah, specifically in chapter 17, this is exactly what you see. Rather than trying to control his life, uh, he, he just faithfully trusts God and takes him at his word in every step. He's not looking way into the future. He's not wondering about where his future spouse is going to be or where he's going to go to college or, man, where he's going to live or what career he's going to go into. No, he, he just looks and responds in humble obedience and dependence on God. And it's a beautiful example for what we are looking at or what we're walking through in our lives today. As we look at the life of Elijah, it's funny, when you read in James, James chapter 5, I've been reading James with some men recently. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Next week we'll look at it, but he says he was a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently for the Lord to stop the rain, and he did it for three years. And I, I share that because I think many times we get some sort of this mentality that the guys in the Old Testament, the women in the Old Testament, the New Testament are some sort of super saints. They have some sort of spiritual connection or greater insight or, or perhaps some secret depth of relationship with God that we'll never have. And man, I will never be able to be a spiritual uh, superhero like Elijah. I'll never be able to do what Elijah did. And man, I just want you to see, even from God's own word, he was a man with a nature like ours. 
He made mistakes. He struggled. As we'll see here, he, he had depression. He, he literally wanted to take his own life. He wrestled with common things that we do. He was a man like us, yet in his ordinariness, if that's a word, God used him powerfully in the chapters of 1 Kings in the time of the people of God. And so today we're going to look at chapter 17. And just a little background quick before we dive in. God's people have really lost their way. They're not on track with God. Kings are really leading people away from God. And in the opposite direction that God wants them to, further and further away from God. And with every king in their history, it seems like things are getting more out of control and more sinful. And really we come to, uh, who, who Elijah's dealing with today, King Ahab, who's really the most wicked of all the kings. And he's ruled for 22 years. He's not a great king. He does more evil than all of the previous kings. And the children's sins, now what's happening, is outpacing that of their parents. So Ahab is now doing much worse than his dad. And it seems like, I'll just be honest with you, part of the reason why I, I love this series is because it seems as though it's a unique and dangerous time to be a faithful follower of God. Man, in a moment, in, in the next couple weeks, we'll read out how he runs for his life. And man, it seems like all of the culture around him, even though it was supposed to be what it was, is now following after Baal and Asherah. And it's even dangerous for him to fulfill what he's called to do and walk out his faith. And man, he gets so overwhelmed, he doesn't think there's any money, many Christians even around. So he's like, God, just kill me. And I wanna just take my life. And man, it seems like it could be a similar situation to what you're living in and I'm living in every day. Man, it just seems to me that things just keep swinging in the opposite direction that God wants them to be, right? It seems like it's becoming more and more um, challenging to walk faithfully with the Lord. And there's going to be even some times maybe in our future where there's going to be some real cost involved in being faithful to the Lord. And all of that, what I want you to see today is how Elijah walked by faith. And the main thing I want you to see is that a life of faith is a life trusting God and taking him at his word. A life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. And so before we open up the text and read it, because there's a lot of it, I just want to ask you a question. And the question to wrestle with is, what does it look like to have a life of faith? What does a life of faith actually look like every day? You could say that really easily, like, well, you know, fulfill a life of faith. Well, what does that actually look like? Well, what I want to show you today is just a couple of things from the life of Elijah in chapter 17 that show us what a life of faith looks like, what it looks like to trust God and take him at his word. So there's a lot of text here. I'm, I'm going to read chapter uh, 17, 1, all the way down to chapter 16, if you want to, or verse 16, not chapter, uh, if you would, read it with me. Verse 1, it says, Now Elijah... The Tishbite of Tishbite, Tish, excuse me, Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the Lord God, excuse me, and the word of the Lord came to him Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is in the east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him food and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, listen to this, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as, she was going to, and as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as I have said. But first, make me a little cake. And little, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make yourself some, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did, as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord he spoke by Elijah. It's a lot. But what I want you to see is just one thing from this entire section of the text. I want you to see that a life of faith that is dependent on God is a life of unconditional obedience. Unconditional Obedience. Look at me. Man, you, you read at the beginning, uh, just to point out some of the very beginning, the first words of chapter 17 are a bit shocking. They're a little bit like, wait a minute, who is this guy? Elijah, he comes on the scene from out of nowhere. We know nothing about him. We're not given any background on him. We have almost no information other than the fact that he is a Tishbite. We're not even told at this time that he's a prophet. We're just suddenly there as he arrives and he's now delivering this horrible news to King Ahab, who's the most wicked king in Israel's history. Amen. While we don't have much to, to, to know about him yet, in the first 16 verses of this chapter, we see by Elijah there is unconditional obedience in response to the word of the Lord. Each time you hear that the word of the Lord came to him, it says in both times, so he went or he, he got up, he immediately responded in the text. And in verse 1, we see his obedience in just delivering the word of the Lord to Ahab. It says, the word of the Lord, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no, neither no drew nor rain three years except at my word. Now, that's a pretty overwhelming thing. There's a lot wrapped up into that sentence, right? So it says there's no dew or rain. This is extremely important for the land of Palestine. And if they didn't have dew or rain, this would have been a drought for three years and would have catastrophic implications for the kingdom. So what he's telling Ahab is basically the Lord's come to me and tell you because of your sin, there's going to be no dew nor rain for three years. Your kingdom has ended. Worse than that, Ahab is married to a princess Jezebel. Any guys named your daughters Jezebel? <laughs> I don't think so because there's a reason. Jezebel is not 
a great individual. She's even more wicked than her husband and has really brought in the worship of Baal and Asherah into the kingdom of Israel. And they've led the people to worship them. What's interesting, this is what's fascinating. Baal was the great god of storms. Isn't that interesting? So the people believed that, 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 that Baal sent rain to bring fertility to the land, and they depended on it. So when Elijah says, hey, there's going to be no rain or dew for three years, I just want to show you your God is fake, and my God's the real God. Yahweh is the true and living God. And I'm just telling you, Ahab, you've made a mistake. Your God that you've been worshiping has no power whatsoever. And I'm about to show you, you're not going to have any rain. Can you imagine Ahab, day one, maybe he was right. Day two, ah, he can't be right. Day three, man, I don't know. By day like 30, he's like, find me, Elijah. We, we've got to figure this out. You know, God warned about this many years earlier. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, he says, Take care, speaking to the people of Israel, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve gods and worship then. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So you can imagine, in the moment, Ahab, he knows this stuff. In a moment, he's receiving the judgment of God because of his sinful nature and what he's doing. But man, and what's amazing is in all of that, this is the most wicked king they've had. In a moment, Elijah's life could have been taken just for speaking that. But unconditional obedience, he gets the word of the Lord, he goes before the king, and he stands and he delivers a message. And upon delivering it, he gets a word from the Lord that came to him telling him, to go hide himself. He says, man, go down to this brook where you'll drink and I will send ravens to feed you. This sounds, this sounds like some crazy movie. Ravens are coming by dropping meat and bread and he's just lapping out of the river, right? His life was in danger and the Lord says, hey, you need to lay low. And number two, Ahab won't be able to find you to try to make you make it rain again. You're gonna go and do my bidding. You're gonna go to this place and I'm gonna take care of you in this safe place. And man, when you read the instructions, it seems a little crazy. I don't know about you. If you woke up tomorrow morning and God says, I want you to go out. I was just out in the Rocky Mountains. I want you to go out to the Rocky Mountains and live by this river and I'm gonna send some eagles to feed you. If you came and met with me and you're like, God just told me this, I'd be like, Alex, call someone. We need someone right now. I'm going to recommend a, a good therapist to you, and um, we're going to pray over you. But just think about what, this, what, he, what, he's, what he's hearing. Hey, go, I have commanded. What I love that it says in bo both times in the text, it says, I have commanded the ravens. Isn't that amazing? God is in control of every minute, tiny little detail of your life, even the ravens that feed Elijah. But what's Elijah's response? He's not like, hey, God, that seems a little goofy. I don't know. Even ravens are unclean to Israel, Israelites, and they're going to drop out my food. This seems a little wacky, God. I don't know. No, his first response is, so he went. He didn't ask. He didn't question. He didn't say, hey, this doesn't make sense. He went immediately, unconditional obedience, and it said he did according to the word of the Lord. No questioning, no discussion, just unconditional, faithful obedience walking after the Lord. It's amazing. And as time goes on, the effects of the drought are felt, and the river even dries up. You can imagine, he's probably like, hey, God, what's going on here? I don't have anything to drink. 
right? So it says the word of the Lord came to him again, telling him, hey, there's a widow. I want you to go down and see this widow in Zarephath, and, and I have commanded this widow. Now, there's nothing in the text that shows anything that God has talked to the widow, but God is so sovereignly in control of your life and my life and all the details of our lives, God has already worked it all out in, in the future for him. He's already got it taken care of. And with this, it's almost an exact quotation of verse 2, that the word of the Lord came to him again, and with it again comes a command and a promise. I want you to do this, and I promise I will take care of it. And what's Elijah's response? Again, he rose, and he went. Maybe sitting by the river, he has some drink. He's like, hey, can I get a couple minutes? The ravens just dropped off some meat. No, it says that he rose immediately, and he went and did exactly what the Lord has said. Now, What's fascinating in the text is the sustaining source is unlikely in both situations. Many of the sustaining source of some ravens dropping off bread and meat. Now you have the same thing, and a sustaining source in a widow in a country where there is now really a drought. Not only just a widow, but she has a child. So, so not only is she just desperately needy as a widow, she's extremely desperately needy, even having a son that she has to take care of. And there's no, in a patriarchal society, a man that's taking care of her at that moment. She's super um, sus- um, susceptible to many different things. And you even hear it in, in the text, really, as he asks for a morsel of food, really... She, in essence, says, I'm gathering these sticks to cook our last meal, and then we will die. Why didn't God pick, like, this really wealthy individual that he's like, hey, I've commended the prince of Persia to take care of you? No? I want you to do this. I want you to go and be with this widow who has nothing, and she has to take care of a son. And he says, man, I'm going to sustain you. And what happens? It says that God sustains her, her son, and Elijah. And even she, at the word of the Lord from Elijah, same phrase coming from Elijah's mouth that came from him, she unconditionally obeys. And what's the response? She experiences the blessing of God, the miraculous of God as nothing runs out. And God sustains all of their needs in every moment as Elijah is there until the drought is out. The drought was three years. You imagine going back to the same pot of flour and be like, hmm, I swear that was empty yesterday. You just keep pulling the olive oil and it just keeps coming. What an amazing thing. No, because God is good on his promises. God is faithful. He's trustworthy. We can take him literally at his word. And in every situation, when the word of the Lord came to Elijah, his response was immediate, unconditional obedience. Can I just pause for there for a moment? Is that your response to the word of the Lord? When you hear the word of the Lord on Sunday morning, is your response unconditional obedience? When you hear the word of the Lord in your private Bible time, is your response unconditional obedience? When when you hear a word of the Lord in in a book you're reading or whatever it might be, and you hear from the Lord in the still, small, quiet moments when you spend to him, is your response immediately unconditional obedience to follow after the Lord? I'll just, I'll be the first one to admit, mine's not always, right? It's tough to see on the other side of the command to see the promise fulfilled. If you have kids or 
your kids are old enough, you remember as a kid. I'm sure you've heard this or maybe even said this before. Many ask your kids to do something, clean the room, wash the dishes, fill the dishwasher, whatever it might be, and you hear this response. Well, if I clean my room, can I have ice cream? Well, if I do the dishes, can I have more screen time? If I do my homework, X. And my response always wants to be, I just want to shake them and be like, no, obedience is not dependent on me doing something for you. Obedience is not conditional. It's not like, man, if you do what I tell you, I'll do this for you. I'll just throw it on you and me. I wonder if that's how God feels many times. The word of the Lord comes to us and is calling us to walk by faith in many different ways. And in all of it, man, many times we put conditions on it. Okay, God, I'm putting out one more fleece. If it's wet, I'll do it. Okay, God, if you give me that job, I'll do it. Okay, God, if you open that door, I'll walk through it. Okay, God, if you give me that job, I'll be obedient. Okay, God, if you give me children, I'll be, I'll be okay. Okay, God, if you, if you uh, find this perfect spouse for me, I'll be okay to walk in faithful obedience. Okay, God, all these conditions we put on our obedience all the time. And we may not even think about it. We may not even like be making a list like, okay, God, I need to check all these things off. No. So many times it's just in our subconscious. When we already know what the Lord said. The Lord said, love your neighbor. The Lord said, spend time with me. The Lord says, like, walk in obedience. The Lord says, like, all the different things that he calls us to, not even specific to you, and what is our response? There are no conditions to obedience. So I'll ask you another question. When was the last time you heard the Lord speak? No. I'm not talking about the heavens opening. You're driving down the road and you saw the picture of Jesus in the clouds. I'm not talking about like some like, oh, this cloud's open. You hear the Lord speak to you in, a, in an audible voice. I'll just be honest with you. I have heard the Lord speak to me in a way like that before. I've had a vision from the Lord. The Lord spoke to me that way. I'm just talking, whether it's here, there, your own time, when was the last time you heard the Lord speak? Well, the second question is, what'd you do about it? What was your response? Because I'll just be honest with you, if it's been forever, then since you've heard the Lord speak, you've got a first problem. Because the Lord speaks all the time. The second thing is, what are you doing with what the Lord is saying? Did you respond with obedience? Or did you explain it away, argue about it, put conditions on it, or just not respond at all? What's remarkable in the story of Elijah is that each time he responded Every time with unconditional obedience, no questioning, just a faith-filled response. And what's awesome in the text is that on the other side of obedience was provision, and the provision was provided in a miraculous way. Man, I'll tell you, on the other side of your obedience is the provision of God. And maybe here today you're not experiencing the provision of God because you're not stepping into obedience. I'll tell you, if you don't need anything from the Lord, how can he provide? And so many times the Lord's calling us to step out in faith in something so that he can show up with provision like ravens coming from the sky and a widow who has nothing to provide. But so many times we're not actually stepping out in obedience. 
And that might just start with not hearing, not listening, not putting ourselves in a posture to actually hear a word from the Lord so we can step out in obedience. Man, I can't say that loud enough that provision is the other side of obedience. Walking by faith, believing that, man, God goes before us in obedience. He's working all of his promises out. But in order to experience many times provision, we have to walk in faithful obedience. See, Jesus is the greatest example of all of this. He's the greatest prophet that ever lived. In every situation, he responded in unconditional obedience. I already read it this morning. But Philippians says, he was so obedient, even becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And on the other side, the unconditional obedience was the blessing. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I wonder how many of us in this room, myself included many times, are missing out on experiencing the blessing, the promised blessing of God in provision because we're not walking in faithful obedience to him. We're not actually stepping out May we be people that respond in all areas of our lives by obedience, walking in humble obedience with the Lord. Well, the second thing that a life of faith requires is complete dependence. Not just unconditional obedience, but complete dependence. Read with me the, the second half of our text in verse 17. It says, after this, the son of the woman, this is the widow, her son, the mistress of the house became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. It doesn't say he died, but no breath left in him. I don't know what you think that means, but I, I think he's passed. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come here to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him in his arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he was lodged. And he laid him on his bed and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is, uh, the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You see, it's not just about unconditional obedience, it's about complete Dependence, the transition between verse 16 and 17 goes from epic to tragic. We hear about, yeah, like every time they tried to get oil and flour, it was just always there and everything was provided. And the next verse, like his son, her son dies. Oh, wow, okay, there's a big turn in the story. And the son has become so ill that there's no breath left in him. And you can hear the despair in the mother's voice as she really questions Elijah and God. So in essence, she's saying, man, was God's kindness in sparing us from premature death some kind of joke? Like we were about to eat our last meal and die, and somehow he's saved us. Was death your intention all along? 
She's wrestling with God. Like, why would God do this? Why would God save them from eating their last meal just to kill her son? And really, it's showing there was much belief in Jesus' time and previous time that many believed that, that, that people died or were sick because of sin of their, their children or so, excuse me, sin of their parents or sin themselves. You see it in John chapter 9 where, where the disciples come with Jesus and they're like, hey, was he born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither, actually. It was for the glory of God to be on display when I heal him, actually. And then she's wrestling like, man. And Elijah, no response to what she says. No response about the accusation, just says, give me your son. And he takes the boy up to the upper chamber. It's probably where he was staying, probably on the roof of their home. And he says two prayers. What I find amazing, he says two prayers. He doesn't just ask the Lord to heal him. It seems as though Elijah's even struggling with the boy's death himself. If you read it with me, verse 20, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? In a lament before the Lord, he says, man, I'm struggling with this God. I just want to give you freedom today. God can handle when you're upset at him. God can handle when you don't understand. God can handle it when you think that God has brought calamity upon you, but really it's for your good and put his glory on display. God can handle your emotions. You don't have to bottle them up inside when hard things come in life. You don't have to push them down when the Lord wants to hear from you authentically. He can handle it. But what you see happen is it's not just, man, God, what are you doing? But it quickly turns to a place of complete dependence on the sovereignty of God in the situation as he throws up a second prayer in dependence upon the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And he stretched on himself three times. Well, there's a lot of different speculation about what he's doing by stretching himself out on the child. We, we want to be really careful to speak where the Bible doesn't speak. This could just be symbolic action of saying, man, let this lifeless body be as my living body. But the more staggering thing is, is that a dead body to, to Israelites was unclean. And the fact that he laid himself on an unclean body would make him unclean. But the power working of God actually did the opposite. The contamination happened the other direction. Rather than Elijah being contaminated, contaminated with now a dead body, the life of Elijah or the life of Christ rose this boy from the dead. It's very similar, even reminiscent of Jesus himself touching unclean individuals and then becoming clean. And in this climactic moment, we got a dead boy, a distressed mother, and a dependent prophet. Perfect situation for the glory of God to show up. Perfect, right? And in Austria, this is a super, I just want to remind you too, maybe you don't know, this is a very unprecedented prayer on Elijah in complete dependence. There has never been in the history of the Bible, this is the first resurrection in the Bible. Elijah's not looking back and being like, oh, I remember, uh, Moses did this, I can do this. He is just fully dependent 
There is nothing that he would be able to do to raise the boy up to life, but he knows God is able to do it, and he turns and responds to the Lord. And just like the riverside being fed by the ravens and a poor widow, he again is completely dependent on the Lord as the dependence of Elijah is shown throughout the entire passage. He was dependent on the Lord on the riverside. He was fully dependent on the Lord with the widow. And now here he is fully and completely dependent on the Lord because nothing in him could change the situation, but he knows God can. As he says, Lord, do this. And the response of the widow is, man, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Man, can I just be encouraging to you? Your dependence on God as you live everyday life is viral to other people. You can tell people that you're dependent on God all you want, but when the rubber meets the road and things happen tragically in life or you're in an overwhelming situation and you show the people in your life, even other followers of Jesus, how you walk in complete dependence upon the Lord, it's inspiring and moves other people in the name of Jesus. Just like this widow, man, surely your words are the words of God as he is fully dependent on the Lord. When you think about what does it mean to be dependent? The word dependence literally means a state of relying or being controlled by someone or something else. How many of you guys like to be dependent on other people? I'm not real big on it. It's the opposite way of we, we, we set up our lives, right? I mean, if you think back, if you were a kid, if you're a kid here, you're looking forward to it. We look forward to becoming independent. Man, you get a cell phone, you're like, first step. You get a license, man, I don't, mom and dad don't have to drive me anymore. You, you, you go away to college, you're like, I'm independent. We often make bad choices in our independence, Right? Man, we move out of the house. All these things we're looking forward to because, man, being dependent on someone or something is seen as weakness in our world, not strength. It's not looked at as like, man, you're, you're dependent on so many people. That's amazing. No, it's the opposite. But you are made for something other than independence. You are made for complete and utter dependence on the Lord. And everything you're experiencing in your life and the culture around you is teaching you to do the opposite. And so many believers in Jesus, myself included, are trying to pull themselves up every day rather than laying down before the Lord in complete dependence. I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. And you see throughout the chapter, Elijah completely dependent on the Lord over and over and over again as he's sustained by a river, as he's sustained by a widow, as he raises a young boy to life. And man, I just want to remind you today, whoever you are watching online, you need the Lord. Young moms, you need the Lord to, to, to help your children. Young dads, you need the Lord to disciple your family. Men, men, businessmen in this room, you need the Lord to follow Jesus in the, in the workplace. You need the Lord to, to see your neighbors come to Christ. You need the Lord every single day. It's something, not a, it's not questionable. It's not like, well, I don't know if I really need him. No, you desperately need the Lord. Day in and day out, man, the most powerful phrase that I took away from my time of almost four or five months of counseling with my counselor, is he said a phrase, and I'll never forget it. I've shared it with you guys before. The currency of the kingdom of God is inability and dependence. The currency of the kingdom of God is inability and dependence. Just as Elijah carrying a young boy 
to the Lord's feet and say, man, there's nothing I can do about this. Our inability, your inability to carry out all that God has for you is an invitation for dependence on God. Your inability to lead your family is an invitation for dependence on God. Your inability to fulfill all that God has called you to is an invitation to dependence on God. Your inability to walk with the Lord faithfully and overcome the sin that is so overwhelming to you is an invitation to depend fully on the Lord. That the lifeblood of the kingdom, the currency of the kingdom is inability and dependence. I mean, this is what Jesus tells us. If you remember what John 15 says, he says, man, I'm the vine, you are the branches. In me, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit for what? Apart from me, like a branch that's cut off from your tree that dies quickly or a vine, you can do nothing. Man, if you're tired of spinning your wheels and all that God has called you to do, maybe the step for you today is to step into inability and say, I am unable to do this, God, which is an invitation to the throne of grace, which is the throne of I will do it for you. I will walk with you. There's something powerful about inability that calls us to dependence on the Lord, but I will tell you, myself included, there's not many people in this room that woke up this morning and said, I am unable to do what I need to do. We are born and bred to be dependent on ourselves and say, I got this. Some of the most famous people you'll see on social media is just telling you to have the right mindset. You could pick yourself up. You can do this. Consistency, all that. All of that's good, but it only is good when it's partnered with me telling the Lord and going before the Lord and saying, I am unable to do this on my own. Save this young boy. So what is your response? Are you living in complete dependence on God or something else? Maybe it's your money. I don't need any help, I got money. Your giftedness, yourself, whatever it might be, right? If that's not it, what is it and what needs to change? What needs to, to shift in order for you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you? Maybe it's because you have everything so perfectly calculated and planned out. You're the person, type A, you never really have to need the Lord because you've planned every step of your life and anything that is uneasy or you don't know where it leads or where the end is, you're like, I'm not stepping into that because I, I can't, I have to have everything planned out. Well, I'll tell you, you'll never need God if you don't step out in faith where God is calling you. Or for you, maybe it's that you're just not responding to the commands of the Lord with obedience. Because I promise you, if we continually walk with the Lord and step out in obedience, he will call us to a life of dependence because you'll get to a place where you desperately need the Lord to fulfill what he's called you to. Man, as I said in the beginning, I want you to know today is that a life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. Taking him at his word and trusting him looks like unconditional obedience and complete dependence. Amen? May we be faithful in walking in that, stepping out in it. And I just want to go before the Lord now and ask him, where are the places that you need to walk in obedience and faithfully depend on the Lord? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for the story of Elijah, the life of Elijah, how pivotal it is.
as a picture for us to walk in humble obedience with you, Lord. What a great picture it is to us to know what it looks like to be faithful to you. So God, would you stir in the hearts of the people here, myself included, as, as I was writing this, I was overwhelmed by conviction of so many different areas where I am not walking in unconditional obedience. I'm not just responding right away. I'm putting all kinds of conditions or I'm not stepping out at all. Would you lead us, God, in those areas? Would you lead us to, to faithfully respond in dependence? And if there's people here that think they have it all together, they don't need anything, would you break them in the sense that they are in desperate need of you to walk faithfully every single day? And with it, Lord, we only but respond in gratitude, worshiping you in response to all that you've done, faithfully fulfilling all of your promises. It's in your great name we pray. Jesus' name, amen.